Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of musculoskeletal healthcare. And I think I found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the clinic gym hybrid model. And over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the U.S. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to an exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and it's my pleasure today to be joined by Dan Kleckner. Dan, what's up, my man? Hey, buddy. How you doing? Uh, thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, Dan is the owner of Cutting Edge Fitness. It's spelled with a K, of course, just like his last name. And uh, you're up in the greater Seattle area. Is that right? Yeah, we are, man. We have two locations here, one in Kirkland, Washington, uh, one in Issaquah. And then I also have another gym that I own with a business partner in good old Butte, Montana as well. Beautiful Butte, Montana. Good place to go for St. Patty's Day if you can survive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, uh, I, I wanted to get on with you today because you are doing everything in the fitness space right, especially uh, you really worked on your business model and resisting the urge to go cheap and easy that I think a lot of people get into early on in their uh, fitness careers. But just so everybody can kind of have a, a picture of what you do. So you've got, you're basically running uh, three different gyms. Two of them are, I'm going to guess you're in those two at least a couple times a week. You personally are going to those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in our Kirkland, which is our original location. Uh, the most I go to our Issaquah one only about one or two days a week. The Montana one is obviously all remote, just calls, checking yeah. with my partner. Um, but yeah, the Kirkland one I'm in pretty much four or five days a week. And give us some, uh, can you give us square footage so we understand what we're, what we're talking about here? Definitely. Yeah. They all, all three locations actually end up working out to be right at about 4,000 square feet. So they're all similar um, in size. So you're a big uh, Tom Plummer fan, right? So that's kind of the stage two. Things are getting serious. You can start with the thousand square feet. Now you've moved up to 4,000. Uh, and how do you like that size, by the way? Uh, I love it, man. It's perfect for us. We could, you know, realistically end up anywhere between the four to 6,000, but uh, the real estate prices here in Seattle are pretty expensive right now. So the 4,000 is is good for us. And yeah, we, I've been a big proponent of Tom's for a long time. He's been my business coach for a while now. And, uh, it's kind of, that falls in line with his model with the square foot stuff as well, for sure. Yeah. And you kind of, uh, just from following you online, um, you kind of have specialized in golf. I wouldn't say that you're a hundred percent a golf fitness facility, but that certainly is a big driver of your economy, right? Definitely. Yeah. In our Kirkland location, about 25% of our clients are golfers in our Issaquah location. I actually share that space with the TPI golf teaching pro and we have two TrackMan bays in there. And I would say about 50% of our members there are golfers as well. And I'm a, I'm a huge uh, golf fan, golf fitness fan. We've been doing the golf fitness stuff for about six years now. Um, we never wanted to pigeonhole ourselves into just golf fitness because it's a little hard to, uh, you know, make the, the revenue and profit margins we want. We're just so niched out in that, but it's a big part of what we do. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, at least 50% of the business we do in Esquad and about 25% in Kirkland. That's awesome. And, and when you have that, that many golfers is the remainder of the membership is a lot of that, the kind of husbands, wives, sons and daughters of the golfers that you're serving. Uh, some of it is, but we're in a very heavy uh, tech area here. 
with Microsoft and Facebook and Google and all those places have offices here. So I would say our other percentage of clientele um, is just a lot of the fitness after 40 crowd, people that need to work on core strength, mobility. Actually, a lot of the same stuff our golfers need to work on. Yeah. So our, our programming falls in line uh, with both groups um, anyways. But yeah, I would say that other 50% or so is, is you know, the over 40 crowd that wants more of a personalized, customized program. But you're not, you're actually working for your money. You're not one of these clowns that's doing, you know, working with 18 to 22 year olds and talking about mobility training. And I'm like, what in God's name are you talking about, man? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you exactly. No, no. Until you work with a 68 year old, you know? Exactly, man. Yep. That's awesome. Well, uh, I especially want to talk to you because like I told you before, um, a lot of my listeners have a clinic, they're doing well, they're probably attracting that same market that you're talking about. And then they're adding in gym or fitness services, bolting that onto their clinic, right? And um, I love the fact, you know, because I'm a, a devotee of, of Tom's as well, I love the fact that you're all small group. And if you got, if you don't mind, I would love to kind of dive into what you see about small group training. And one thing that a lot of people get into, I think in their first year, and I don't know if you felt this pressure, but the thought of like, well, to get more clients, I'm going to have to go low price and then to counteract that large group training. So kind of the CrossFit, you know, 20 people in a class setting. Um, uh, did you go through that kind of experience? Like, did you have that Tom wouldn't let you do this, but did you think, oh, I need to reduce my prices. I need to, you know, work with a whole bunch of people at once and make it super cheap. Did you ever feel that? Yeah, thing? yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I think that's the natural thought process to go through when you're brand new into this and trying to open up a gym. And when we first started having the idea, that, that was definitely in the back of our minds. Uh, we got very lucky, though, from day one that we, we got to work with Tom for, you know, about a year. Tom and Rick Mayo a lot for about yeah. a year before we opened up. So they, they quickly pivoted us to that small group model and got those thoughts I'm, out of our head, which was great. I'm sure Rick presented, like, the statistics of why you want to do it and talked to you like your grandfather would, whereas Tom told you you're being a freaking dumbass, repeatedly yelled at you, and just browbeat you until you didn't do it, right? Yeah, exactly. Rick's, uh, Rick's a little more um, empathetic and a little uh, easier to deal with on that side of things for sure but they it was actually honestly really good working with both them for that whole yeah. year because they do stuff similarly enough where we were able to pull a lot from that but they also are very different guys and do stuff differently as well and so we got kind of the best of both worlds which yeah. we were and literally both out. of them have seen hundreds of gyms succeed and hundreds uh unfortunately fail you know exactly yeah so so here you are doing small group training and are there large group training offerings around you like, are you, are there any other gyms geographically close to you? Oh yeah. Where I'm sitting right now at our Kirkland location, um, I would say there's probably 10 to 15 large group models within two miles of us. So okay. yeah, there, we have franchises all over here with, you know, nine rounds, F45, Orange Theory, you name it. And, and it's around here. So uh, it, it is a good differentiator for us doing the small group because we are one of the very few um, in our area that specializes in the small group. So we kind of just pivoted and went the exact opposite way of where most of the mainstream franchises are going right now with the, the group model. Yeah. And how long have you been there in Kirkland? Uh, six years. So let's say four years ago, uh, were there other large group offerings around you? I mean, is this the second version? Because F45 is a relatively new offering in the States, right? I think it started in Australia or something. Yeah. It's been around for what? eight years on the big franchise push. So yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I, I would say when we first summed up, there was really only maybe one or two of those around. Okay. And now, like I said, there's probably 10 to 12. So 
that is the a huge influx in the fitness industry right now as you see these franchise models that are the you know 2000 to 2500 square feet um, large group model and that's kind of what everybody's pivoting towards um, which makes sense for a franchise model because it's probably the easiest thing to run you don't really need experienced coaches you don't need a whole lot of space um, you don't need a whole lot of expertise i mean yeah, you don't need a whole lot of expertise run the everybody can uh, get their weekend certification and open up the yeah. open up the gym but uh we wanted to be kind of the exact opposite of that model so well to be fair they can get their weekend cert like three or four months into working there so don't worry about it True. <laughs> True. Um, so what, what's typically the response when you, you tell, you know, a client coming out of one of those, cause I'm sure you've got a bunch of people coming out of those, they hear about your spot and they, they go from the bit, the kind of large group mentality to a highly specialized small group training. What, what do they say? Like, yeah. So, I mean, sometimes it's a hard sale because people are coming in used to spending, you know, a hundred bucks at those gyms and our, our average membership is closer to 300 bucks a month. So sometimes it does take that convincing, but I think the easiest way to do that, um, like Tom always says is to know us is to love us is, is having a trial process in place, whether it's a 15 day or a 30 day trial, you know, nobody comes in here and signs up right off the bat. So we're not trying to hard sell them on day one on something they've never done. Um, so we have a trial process of either 15 or 30 days or, you know, whatever ad we're running on, on mm-hmm. Facebook for our trial process. Um, and then everybody comes in on those. And then we have very, you know, very systematic approach during that trial process to um, onboard them and try to get them into a regular membership, obviously, by the end of that trial process. And we've been pretty steady across the board, about 60% trial conversions over the last six years at, at all of our locations. Um, so we know that if we can get, you know, 10 people in the door on this trial process, there's a good chance we're going to sign up six of them. And some of them, it does take more convincing than others as far as the um, price point. But I think a lot of them, once they just go through it and see what the small group entails and realize that they're getting a, you know, a customized program and they're not having to, to either fight people for equipment at a big box gym or they're not getting lost in the shuffle at a 30 person group class where everybody's doing the same thing. And probably 80% of that program is going to get most people hurt. Um, they, they kind of see that value, uh, in, in what we do once they try it. Yeah. Don't knock the getting hurt thing, dude. My listeners have built careers off of, uh, bad gyms and hurt, that's true, hurt man. Members. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and all kidding aside, what, you know, when you're talking about onboarding in that first 30 days, again, a lot of folks listening don't have the experience you've had and, um, and they're trying to get this thing going. What are a couple things, maybe two or three things that are super important on the onboarding experience that a lot of people overlook or just don't assume uh, are a big deal. I'll give you a second to think about it. The one thing that I will share that just a story that always sticks out in my mind is we were, uh, dis- we decided to have a walkthrough on one of the days. Like when you join up, we have this success meeting. And the last thing it finishes with is just like a 10 to 12 minute walkthrough of the gym talking about the different pieces of equipment and where they go so that you can have an organized place and like, you know, Hey Dan, whenever you use a you know dumbbell, put it back over here. And so we were just talking about kettlebells and we had a barbell rack and, you know, bumper plates and all that, just using the terminology and standing there one-on-one with somebody and saying, these are, you know, we call these kettlebells. Some people say cowbells or they look like a cannonball with a handle on it, but they're kettlebells. We put the heaviest ones on the bottom and the lighter ones up top. All right. These are our barbells and you can tell the weight by the, you know, they're in a vertical rack. So like the shorter ones for a woman, shorter ones are for you. Longer ones are for the tall guys and, you know, going around and people were just like, half the people were bored out of their school, but the other half that weren't bored were like, that's amazing. I've never understood what those things were. I never knew the name. I'm so glad you explained it to me. And to us, you know, we're a lot of the people 
in this business have been around gyms their whole life. And so they know those names, you know, they know what the skull crushers are and they know what the, you know, cable machine is and a low cable row and all this stuff. But you forget how some people are total novices and they don't, they're not coming in with that knowledge and nobody ever stopped to go like, you know, do you understand what this is? Like, let me just show it to you real quick. Yeah, that's an extremely good point, man. I mean, we talked about earlier about how we get clients coming from, you know, the large group model, but a lot of our clients coming in here, maybe have never even been into a gym before, or yeah. if they have, it's, it's very, like you said, very novice. Um, and our gym looks very different. You know, people come in here like, where's all the equipment? Where's all the row of treadmills and stuff like that. So I think what you said is perfect is you have to take the time to really um, explain things, understand how things work in here, go over the different equipment, go over what our philosophies on programming are and, and really just dumb it down for everybody so that they understand kind of what they're getting in, in, in uh, into, but also just creating a welcoming environment. The biggest thing that differentiates us from those other um, places is our community and just the personalization of everything. Like, obviously we know all of our members name, everybody's greeted by name when they come in here, everybody's greeted by name when they leave. Um, and just the little things about being able to get to know the clients and kind of meet them where they're at. Um, and then along with that, I think the other thing that gets overlooked a lot is just the follow-up process. A lot of people put these, you know, go through the initial consultation, put these people in the trial process and then just kind of forget about them. And then you expect them to sign up 30 days later. Um, I think you have to have a diligent follow-up process in place, whether it's from the owner or the manager, whoever's in charge of that process, but you know, weekly calls, weekly emails, check in, how's it going? Um, is there anything we can do better? How your workouts going? How you feeling? Um, that kind of stuff. Cause there's gotta be a, a consistent follow-up process for it. So for us, it's minimum once a week, checking in with them on either uh, text or call, um, seeing how they're doing, seeing how everything's going on the trial process. And then usually about halfway through the trial, we will try to, um, we'll try to make the sale. Okay. And you hit it halfway through, if they don't take, you hit it again at the end of the 30 days it's, or something. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So I'm sure a lot of people are going, Oh, you know, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do a lot of these calls once a week, blah, blah, blah. My gut tells me that a lot of those result in, I love it. I mean, it's like a two second conversation about, Hey, thanks a lot for the call. I love it. I'll see you, you know, see you on Thursday. Uh, Usually what are those calls like? Yeah, they're, they are really quick, man, people. But the crazy thing is, is now we're like such a removed society from like personal interaction that people get a call and, t- and like our type of clientele that are in their 40s and 60s, like appreciate that kind of stuff. So they want to yeah. talk on the phone and interact and chat. One of the things we do too is um, every time somebody signs up for a trial, we send a handwritten um, thank you card with uh, two free membership, two trial memberships for a family member as well. And we get a lot of return on those. And people get a, a thank you card in the mail, which is pretty rare nowadays. And I think that goes a long way just to, again, personalize and get the personal touch side of thing. And um, we've been a big proponent, you know, just from learning from Tom and Rick about just having the right staff in place. So if, if you personally can't make all the calls, you got to delegate that to your team. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, if you're going to run a successful business, you have to have a good team in place. And, you know, I would say if, if something can be delegated, you know, 80% as well as you can do it, then delegate it. And I, I delegate uh, a ton, you know, before COVID, obviously I'm, I'm traveling a lot, doing speaking and that kind of stuff. And my gyms have to be able to run without me there. So I have to have a good team in place and trust them to delegate and, and get that kind of stuff done. And so I, I don't think there should be an excuse of not having the time to do it because you should have a team in place to be able to delegate that too. Has, has any, have any of those calls resulted in, uh, a big change to your program or interesting information, uh, you ever, you know, like 
that, that's driven by the, the, the other thing about making those calls is you actually get some frontline information that it, you wouldn't get if you weren't teaching the class. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point. Um, we, we also send out surveys at the end of the, uh, at, or during the trial process. And then at the end mm-hmm. of the trial process, too, and we use a lot of that survey and call information to, to make little tweaks. I don't think we, I wouldn't say we make any like overhaul changes to any of our system stuff, but it is good to know like what they need and what they want. And then we can tweak little stuff in their programming or their, their sessions or how they're scheduled, you know, little stuff, operational stuff too. That, um, so we do use a lot of that information for sure to help kind of customize their, their experience. Yeah. I, I would, uh, I always had the habit of calling every patient, new patient the night of their first appointment, just checking in. And it was almost better if I left a voicemail and didn't talk to them. Cause then the next time they came in, they'd be like, man, I, I couldn't believe you called. And I told my wife and she was, she was blown away that you left me a message and you personally called blah, blah, blah. You know, and it was like, I'm almost hoping they don't answer because you get extra yeah. when they don't. And they, I picture them playing the message for their wife or, you know, husband or something like, you're not going to believe this. Yeah, exactly. And that's awesome. And that, that kind of stuff goes a long way. Now you said something else that I thought was interesting and I think it's overlooked a lot, but you said that you also in that onboarding period kind of explain your approach to programming to your, to your members and, and how much time do you take to do that? Or how do you kind of explain it to them? We do that during our initial consultation process. So everybody that's coming out on the trial goes through just like anybody else, usually a, a normal kind of 60 minute initial consultation. But a lot of that we are having to explain what our programming is. Cause a, a lot of people come in here and like I said, are like, where, you know, where's the row of treadmills, where's all the machines. And we have to explain to them, we have to, you know, dumb it down a lot, but explain to them kind of at a, a fifth grade level of, you know, we don't believe in machines. We don't believe in creating artificial stability. We want you to train holistically upright, you know, create that functional training so that your body can move and, and the proper movement patterns and stuff like that. And really we just delve it into like, let's work on improving core strength. Let's work on improving posture, T spine mobility, just keep it simple terms like that. And then people are like, Oh, well, I've, ne- I've never thought about that. Like yeah. I'm used to just going on these machines and um, you know, why would or I not just go on machines all the time? So if you take the time to explain it to them to that, um, I think it goes a long way. And then they really feel like they're getting a customized, personalized uh, program. Yeah. I think a lot of the approach of these large group places or the approach to programming that, people who have paid for an F45 or fit body boot camp or CrossFit. And, um, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm negative against those things. Like I'd rather have the, you know, the world moving and putting weights overhead into their, you know, and to the side and lifting things than I would have them being sedentary. But when it comes down to being a snob about fitness, you know, I think it's, uh, it, the only approach to programming they've seen in the past is just, Hey, we're going to write it on the whiteboard and you're going to do it. And don't ask any questions because we don't have time for that. You know, so I think it's huge. If you look at like Eric Cressy, for example, I mean, the guy, uh, you know, he's dealing with the, the highest end population of baseball pitchers. And I think they every as I understand, it, every player understands their program and why it's built for them. And the fact that, hey, if you're standing next to Dan and he and we're telling you to do deadlifts and he's doing it almost like you don't worry about what he's doing, because that's not what you're doing, you know, and and uh, there's no need to get in a competition with him, which is that's a tough putt because you're t- talking you get one of those guys gets a little injured in your clinic and that's, you know, sucking a million dollars off their yearly salary, you know? So I think, uh, I think it's so important for people to understand that. And then they're so much more engaged as well. Yeah, exactly. It just makes them feel more part of the process. It, it aids in the community aspect that you're trying to build and they just 
understand why they're there and why that we're doing what we do. And like you said, there's, there's nothing wrong with some of the group stuff. I mean, it is definitely better to get people moving than, than not moving obviously. But I think with that is there's just a small percentage of population that kind of stuff works for. And some of the population it doesn't work for. And we're trying to, you know, get in front of that population that it doesn't work for that are looking for more of a customized solution and kind of don't want to be lost in the shuffle of a, of a large group model. Now, I don't know if you know the stat off the top of your head. I was just looking at something that these branded large group uh, classes like the F45, Orange Theory, uh, these different ones, their average length of membership is like eight and a half months. And then people burn up and they go to another one or they go to their local gym. Um, in your small group, uh, in general, do you know how long your average length of membership is? Yeah, I do. That's a really good question. And that is a big number we've been tracking a lot with uh, Tom and Rick for a while now. Last I talked to Rick, I think he said it, um, it was more like six months for those large group ones. But yeah, somewhere in the six to eight. Ours is more around 30 months average membership. So we do 12 month and month to month membership options. Uh, 99% of our people choose the, the 12 month option. And then when they're up for that renewal of the 12 month, about 70% of those people renew for another 12 months. So if you, you work all the numbers backwards and figure out the average length of each client, it's about, it's about 30 months. Which is two and a half years, right? I'm doing the math. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're doing what women do with the age of your kid, right? How old exactly. Oh, it's 13 point eight five months. And like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a year old. Um, well, two and a half years is you're getting in a tech industry too. You're getting a lot of transient promotion and, and people moving just because of their job, right? Like those, those kind of companies, it's not the coal mine that you work at for 50 straight years, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then typically our clients that do leave most of them, it, it is because they're moving. Obviously we have some people that just, you know, go off the map and we're not able to get a hold of them and they're not coming in anymore. But for the most part, yeah, that's the people that are leaving are the people that are, are moving in and stuff like that. Now, um, because you do work in a specialized market like golf fitness and, and there's some people listening that I know are very interested in certain groups. So golf fitness, um, there's a, a I know someone's reached out before they, they want to work in the baseball population. Another person totally digging on hockey. What tips do you have for somebody that's starting out um, in a specialized population? So if you look at your approach to your golf fitness people versus your general, uh, your general small group fitness people that just, you're providing a whole, an amazing workout, but they don't really know what they want. Whereas the golf fitness people know, I want to hit the ball further. You know, mm -hmm. number one is hit the ball further. Number two is hit the ball further. Number three is I don't want my back to hurt after I hit the ball further, right? <laughs> yep. I always say like, if they come in, whatever they say is bullshit unless they say, I want to hit the ball further. <laughs> it's that until proven otherwise. Yeah, exactly. So as people are building out, if somebody decides to go down that niche, um, uh, what would you recommend as an approach to a very specialized population like golf fitness or baseball fitness or hockey, whatever, if they have knowledge of that sport? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, my first advice for that would be, and I, I got this advice from Tom a long time ago, is is don't pigeonhole yourself into one niche too much. And so that was a big thing with us opening up this second location. We knew the track man was going to be there. I knew I was partnering um, with Alex, who's the golf pro there. And uh, I asked Tom, you know, I'm like, should we just turn this into a, you know, a TPI golf fitness, you know, realm and, and uh, location? And he's like, I wouldn't do that. I don't think you want to pigeonhole yourself in that. That can be definitely part of the brand and part of the market, but you also got to continue to go after the, the corporate fitness after 40 stuff. Cause uh, those guys also pay the bills as well. So I would say from a, 
a business like revenue perspective, you don't want to, you want to have your niches and your specialization, but you don't want to pigeonhole yourself too much into one population because that can be really hard to, to grow. Uh, but along those lines, when you do have those niche kind of segments in your gym, like we have with the corporate crowd and with the golf crowd, I think it's just about how you communicate to them. You know, our, our coaches know that when we, they're working with their golfers that, uh, they're very type A and you have to explain everything to them and you, you want to be able to say, okay, we're doing this move for the swing. And if you don't say that, they're going to ask you like, why are we doing this? How's this going to help me hit the ball farther and stuff like that. So along those lines, it's about the communication and how you communicate to them. And then we've just come up with kind of a custom hybrid programming model where we can train golfers and our normal clientele at the same time off this basically templated system we created where we have a golf template and we have a fitness and fat loss template. And our, we have, we do have to hire really good coaches that are able to kind of go back and forth between the two and, and, you know, communicate a lot during the session and stuff like that. But we have kind of a hybrid programming model where our golfers are on one set of programming, our other clients are on another set of programming. And then we have all their client notes is kind of how we marry those templates to the client and customize it and stuff like that. And so when you're saying client notes, like what kind of stuff are you putting in there. So this is coach to coach communication. So that if you're coaching a class on Monday and I'm covering Tuesday, I know that Jimmy, you're going to put notes about Jimmy Smith and I'm going to look at those before my class. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So a big thing with us from the coaching perspective, which is I had the totally opposite feel on this. So I'm glad I learned this from, you know, Tom and Rick back in the day is that all of our clients work with different coaches. They don't ever work with the same coach all the time. And, um, you know, from a behind the scenes business perspective, that is because if one of our coaches left, we don't want 40 of our members to all of a sudden leave with that, that coach. And so that protects us. By the way, both those guys have told me a story of a coach leaving a business and literally, I'm not kidding when I say it's 50% of the gym leaving with that coach. Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought that was total BS. And then a friend of mine locally had his coach leave and 45% of his membership went with that coach. And I was like, Oh my God, the, the, you know, the stories are real. No, it's a hundred percent real. And I've seen local stuff like that as well, where literally 50% of the guys leave if one of the coach leaves. So, um, we've tried to set ourselves up, you know, from day one to avoid that, obviously. And so part of that is the, the programming and scheduling, but we don't put the coach's name on our schedule. They, the client just shows up in there with whatever coach is working, um, during that shift. But along those lines on the back end, yeah, our coaches have to have very good communication between the clients to know that, you know, if they were in yesterday, this is what they did. So, um, we have a pretty extensive note on each client. And so when we have four people per hour in the small group, and so our coach will come in ahead of time before their shift and pull out the programs and the notes for the four people that are coming in. And if they're not familiar with them, obviously spend some time going over notes, but the notes will have injury history goals, like little stuff about the clients, you know, this is their kid's name. This is what they like to do on the weekends and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, all that is on there. And then they just take that information from the note card and they have our um, template for the day that, that is written out. And then they will follow that template and customize the template based off those notes. And then we have two separate template bases with a golf template and a um, normal, like, you know, fitness and fat loss template. Nice. Are you interested in becoming a better provider for musculoskeletal conditions? Well, if you know me, you might have seen me out on the road, but I totally believe in, I love, I adore the SFMA, the Selective Functional Movement Assessment. It is a fantastic way of assessing the movement-based dysfunctions in your patients. Now, why movement? Because movement has to do with motor control, and that's usually the first sign that pain is going to develop. And it's a better, more reliable method than assessing pain. 
So if you're interested in using a movement-based diagnostic system as part of your intake protocol, I would highly recommend the SFMA. Plus, they've got the best instructors. I'm one of them, so I make it fun. I'm easy to listen to, and, well, I don't know about that, but I enjoy teaching it, and it's a fantastic course. I recommend it. So check out functionalmovement.com and look for an SFMA course near you. Functionalmovement.com. Look for an SFMA Level 1 coming to your area. Hope to see you there. So you guys really have uh, polished the system, and what it sounds like, Dan, is you have the most successful and boring fitness business ever. It's not super flashy. It's like send a thank you card, be really nice, take notes, but it's not the flashy lights and, and, and uh, you know, uh, aggressive t-shirts and all that stuff, right? It's just like do a great job for your clients and just keep doing a great job. Yeah, exactly. I think customer service is the biggest thing for us. That's what differentiates us from mm-hmm. a lot of other gyms. And then, yeah, I mean, I would say we, we do try to kind of fly under the white radar a little bit and do things very simply and just create the best service and experience possible and, and, you know, do that day in and day out and, and see where we're at. Yeah. And then you'll become a, uh, as I call it, if you work with Tom Lemon long enough, it's a, uh, plum dog millionaire, you know, like the movie. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, um, if you don't mind a couple other questions that I have, because you're one of the few, uh, people that I think is doing the model, right. You have enough space to do large group, but you're doing small group. But let me dive into that. So you said you're doing classes of four people at a time, but you got 4,000 square feet. So what are you using all that space for? Or are there multiple classes going on at a time? Or how, how does it work there? Well, pre, pre-COVID, we were doing a lot of our busy hours. We would have eight people training. So four people per coach, two coaches going on. Okay. Um, and that actually 4,000 square feet. Yeah, 4,000 square feet is actually pretty good for that because you do want to have enough space for everybody to still be able to to do all their stuff. And then... Um, you know, pre COVID, we were also running two group classes a day, kind of to supplement our people that were doing the, the um, small group stuff. And so those we would have up to 16 people. So in that case, we would need a little bit uh, larger space. But for the most part, that 4000 suits us for having like eight people in an hour on the small group with two coaches working um, for the time. And then we do have a little open gym area where people can come in and work out, get some extra like mobility and stuff done on their own. Nice. And the coaches aren't yelling over each other and you know, trying to exactly. hurt. Yeah. yeah. All right. Exactly. And then you, uh, you also said that you, you've run some ads in the past and, um, I just want to understand that because a lot of times what you see mostly in the fitness industry, the most prevalent version is come in, lose a bunch of weight. It will make it super cheap for you, you know, lose 20 pounds and it's free kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but you're not, uh, you're not that type of gym. Right. And you're dealing with a, a much more refined population. So what have you found works in the world of, of ads and whatnot to get that population to respond? And I'm guessing you don't want the, the people want it for free because that's just going to screw up your model and they don't appreciate, they don't appreciate what you're doing, but the people who do appreciate it are going to be so excited and jazzed about it that uh, you got, you, you want to get them in, right? Yeah, exactly. We, we try to avoid getting the crowd in here. That's, you know, the group on type of crowd that's jumping from gym to gym and doing free deals and stuff like that. So we do want our, our people that are coming in to have some skin in the game. So typically, you know, the lowest price point thing we would run on, on Facebook or in our marketing would be like a 30 day for $99 um, trial process, something like that. But a lot of our marketing, um, I got to give a little shout out to Colin McGarty. He's at Seacoast Kettlebell in New Hampshire. He's a big guy that uh, with Tom as well and done a lot of stuff with him. We've learned a lot of the marketing stuff from him um, and follow a lot of the similar stuff that he does in the sense of 
we just do, it's a lot of content-based marketing. Like we have ads on the back end, but we also want to establish ourselves as experts in the area. And so we have a lot of, um, you know, we'll do like fitness, we'll do, um, exercise of the week posts. We'll do, uh, nutrition posts. We will do a lot of client testimonials. I think where most people make the mistake from a marketing perspective is they try to um, be the one on video or, or show themselves working out and kind of make it all about them. Whereas you want to make it all about your client. If I have a, you know, a 40 year old house mom that's scrolling through Facebook, she's not going to stop at an extra, you know, video of me working out. She's going to stop at a client that looks like her. That's telling a story of how she succeeded at our gym. So testimonials are huge for us. Um, and then just trying to do a bunch of content just to deliver stuff that, that people want to see. That's a little different from the mainstream, uh, you know, shirt off workout videos. <laughs> yeah. Now, have you had more success in going after the specialized market about, you know, golf, talking all about golf and golf content versus the feel better after 40 crowd? Is it a little easier to market to that group? Uh, I would say it's actually pretty even about 50, 50 in each. The, the thing with us at all of our gyms, that's nice is really for our gyms to be successful. We only need about 200 or so clients at each location to be, to be doing really well. And so if you think about that, that's a very small segment of our population here, you know, in the five mile radius of where I'm at in Kirkland, there's, there's, you know, a hundred thousand people. And so that's really easy for us to just target and niche down some of our marketing. So we do try to speak to that crowd of the fitness over 40 and the golf stuff and, and really try to customize those, those marketing messages a little bit more. And I would say both of them hit ab about the same, honestly, as long as you're doing them. And the golf one is probably a little bit harder because it's, it's a little bit more um, niched out. And so actually a lot of our golf marketing here is more grassroots too. We have some good relationships with some country clubs here. Uh, we have a good relationship with teaching pros that refers people. So the golf stuff is a little bit more grassroots than online and the fitness after 40 hits really well um, online on Facebook and, and Instagram. Nice. Yeah. It's a, it's um, the fitness industry is a crazy thing. Like if you look on Instagram, what works, I mean, there are these women that, you know, they're hot. I mean, that's their whole marketing ploy. And it's like, you think there's no expertise here. You're just hot. And like that works for them to sell these like little monthly, you know, challenges, but for sure. You know, but one thing about golfers that I, that I've experienced, they want information. Like you meet, you need to fill their bucket in their head full of that, that is empty of information and they'll consume, uh, excuse me, they'll consume video content like crazy if it makes sense to them and they feel like it'll get them better. Um, and they don't really care, you know, how good looking the, the swing coach is. I mean, you see them watching videos with like Hank Haney and all the other guys. So, uh, I just laugh because I feel like you're caught in the middle of, of two things, right? Like the money comes from these golfers, uh, and they like attractive women, but they want some pretty good information on the back end. So the content marketing works a little bit better for them. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it just boils down to knowing your audience and knowing your, your target market. And it's kind of like what we talked about before the large group model that tends to be marketed more towards like the 25 to 35 year old crowd anyways. And so there probably are the people that are Instagram, they're going to follow the the good looking fitness model or whatever it is. Whereas our, our fitness after 40 or even our golfers after 40 client, like they're not typically clicking on that kind of stuff. They're clicking on stuff that is engaging to them. Like you said, the golfers, it's like the technical video type of instruction stuff. And with our fitness after 40 crowd, it's, it's them seeing a testimonial that's, that's well produced and put together of somebody that looks like them that succeeded at a gym. Um, that's not the typical like meathead, you know, 25 year old 
crowd. And so I think uh, both work. I mean, obviously, obviously the 25 to 35 year old fitness model stuff works. There's people with millions of followers selling all sorts of products that work, but that's not the type of clientele we're really going after. And so we just have to know our target market. And like I said, we only need about, you know, literally like 1% of the population around us to succeed with the gym. And so we're just trying to attract that 1%. Man, with your super low churn number, like, I mean, if you're keeping people for 30 months, I don't know what you're, what you need to add in every month, but it's a, a single digit number, right? Of new members to keep the place healthy. Yeah, exactly. So our attrition numbers, like we're, we're about 97% retention each month. So that means we've got a hundred members. We're losing about three. Um, the group model typically is more like 10 to 15% a month. So they're having to replace, you know, 10 to 15% of their members, which is a lot tougher. So for us, like, let's say we got 200 members. We know we're probably going to lose six each month just on that normal 3% attrition. That means we ideally would like to get about 12 people in, you know, to replace those six. So we're netting six a month, which nets us about two grand a month in, um, in EFT. And that, I mean, that's not every month, but that's, that's our typical goal. So we, we usually here, we can do about 20 trials a month. If we do 20 trials in a month, we'll sign up 12 of those people to a regular membership. And then that will, uh, net out about six positive. Uh, members a month and you know it doesn't happen every month but that's that's our goal yeah and how many of those are you getting from just organic uh uh what would you call it how many of those are from paid advertising out of those 20 trials and how many do you think are organic yeah it's about 75 25 i'd say 75 percent of our leads and trials come from online social media um, and, but that also includes people that like might walk in and, and sign up for a trial and say, Hey, I just saw your stuff on Facebook. It might not be like a direct opt-in out for there. Yeah. Um, and the other was talking about you and I finally saw your ad or whatever. I like, saw your ad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's the biggest thing. Like just going back to the content stuff is like, you just always have to be top of mind with everybody, you know, anyways. And so we just try to build like a five mile radius around our gym where people are just constantly getting hammered with our stuff on social media because everybody has a different point in their life when they're ready to make a change. It could be, you know, they're having their first kid or they have a reunion coming up or, you know, they finally are getting so much pain on the golf course. They want to make whatever it is. Everybody has a different stimulus that, that causes that change. And when they do want to make that change, we want to be the ones that, that they're thinking of. And so that's where kind of that content stuff comes in as well. I I know this in the chiropractic business and you can tell me if you see this in fitness as well, but there's a lot of people that are kind of hesitant to do paid advertising. And then like, Oh, I, you know, all my people come from word of mouth and referral. When you look at the people who do paid advertising, the quote unquote word of mouth and referral nearly doubles as you add paid advertising, because you're making sure that your phone number's out there. You're making sure your address is out there. Your offer, people are clear about who you are, what you do. And so if you're, if you're going, Oh, I get all my business from word of mouth referrals. I think that's awesome. Number one, you're doing a great job. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to grow, how do you, you can't demand that people talk about you more and you can't demand that they send their friends and people typically turns them off. But if you just make the barrier lower on how to find you by running paid ads and they don't have to be like, super, you know, brosive von Brosison, like <laughs> flexi shirt guy, but just saying like, Hey, here's some, you know, here's three stretches that you can use as a golfer. And, you know, here's four great recipes for uh, weight loss. People see that. And then they're like, Oh, you know what? My, my buddy, uh, Stacy was talking about that. I should probably go check them out. And I, yeah, I think, exactly. Do you see that as well? 
Yeah, definitely, man. That stuff goes hand in hand. And like I said, you know, we still get about 25% of our, our leads from referrals and that, that should obviously always be in place. You always want to be getting referrals because it's a direct, you know, reflection on your business and that you're, you're doing a good job, but it's hard to continue to grow just off of referrals. So I think there has to be a, a paid advertising base as well. And that was honestly something I had, it took me a, a long time to get used to that. Like Tom was always trying to hammer me on spending $3,000 a month on marketing on, on Facebook and online and stuff like that. And that was a big number to me, man. It took me a Heck while yeah, to be dude. like, okay, I, I get it. But when you're, when you're a brand new fitness business and Tom's up there, oh yeah, your minimum marketing spend should be three to 3,500 bucks a month. I was like, Tom, why don't you just kick me in the junk repeatedly? Like that is so painful <laughs> here. And yeah. Like, Let me figure out the memberships. I mean, for you, you're making 300 bucks a month off each member. That's 10 memberships just for marketing. And early on, it's like to get up to that 10 is like hard. It's backbreaking, right? Like, yeah, for sure. But but I will say though that once you do commit to that, there is a direct return on investment and it is worth the money. If you if you kind of reverse engineer and crunch all the numbers on it, um, it does it does pay off and it is the best way to go. But for a lot of people, that's a huge number. And that was a huge number for myself included when we first started doing yeah. it. Um, but once I committed to it, uh, it, it does it does work, man. It does pay dividends. And if you are trying to to grow and scale and um, you know, maybe have multiple locations or at least get yeah. your current location up to being profitable. Uh, it's, it's kind of a must, honestly. All right. Last question, Dan, and I, I want to respect your time and I appreciate you being here. Um, you're in a, you're, you have two locations in basically the suburbs of a very large city in Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. And pretty wealthy. And then you have the third location out in Butte, Montana. Butte's a small town of what, 65,000, 75,000, something like that. Uh, like yeah, just under 50,000 actually. Okay. 50,000. And I've been through there. I've been around there. There's nothing around there. So you're not in a suburb. That is the city, right? What have you learned in marketing? Because I have some clients that are in these, you know, they're in rural areas and, and we talk about the size of their market and the size of their gym. Any, any big differences you've learned there that you can give some advice coming from, uh, as they'll say in Butte, Montana, oh, you city boy coming out here to <laughs> business. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm, I'm glad we can touch on that a little bit because there is such different markets out there. Like we're obviously lucky to be in a big affluent area here in Seattle, but there's a lot of people in smaller rural areas, just like you talked about. So part of the reason when my, uh, when my buddy that, so my buddy that I played football with in college is the one that approached me about this gym in Butte and asked me to, to come on board and open it up with them after we had been doing stuff in Seattle here for a while. And I, ball, by the way, uh, Montana tech, small, small school in Butte. So yeah, that's where the okay. ties come from as well. Okay. Uh, and so I approached Tom and Rick about it, asked him how we structured it, you know, got all that stuff in place. But really why I decided to take it on as well is because I knew that I wanted to open multiple locations, um, here in Seattle as well. And at the time when I took, so the Montana one was the second gym we opened. Um, we'd only had one location in Seattle at that time. And I knew that I needed to test my systems out and test our processes out in a totally different market to really be able to learn and grow. And, um, Tom was a big proponent of me, like having a full operations manual that we write up that has all of our systems and processes so that we could scale. And he basically was saying that if you're going to open a second location, it needs to be like you're opening 10 locations, you know, cause it, once you open another one, you can kind of float back and forth between the two. Um, but ultimately if you're going to have multiple locations, they all have to be able to run without you on very like regimented systems and operations stuff. So we spent a lot of time getting the operations manual together, getting everything that we do down on paper. And then the Montana thing was a perfect way for me to test those systems and see if they work in a different area and really learn and grow, which then really helped us open up our second location here 
So back to the marketing and the rule stuff you were talking about is it's really not as different as you think it would be. Um, we do a lot of content marketing in, in, uh, in Montana as well. And the interesting thing about Montana is it's actually easier to market there, man, because there's only one or two other gyms and like half the people that are running business there don't even know how to do marketing on social media and Facebook and, and stuff like that. And so our marketing actually isn't different at all over there. We run a lot of the exact same stuff. The only thing that is different is with it being a more rural area, obviously our price points are a little different. And we do get a little bit more of the large group uh, crowd there, but it's our type of large group. It's still the more like functional, you know, um, you know, like fitness after 40 type of large group, not the, the F45. But the thing with Montana is, is there is no F45 or Orange Theory or anything we're at. Mm-hmm. And we have to meet our clients where they're at and provide a little bit lower price point membership as well. Mm-hmm. So we still have people doing semi-private, but a lot of it's a large group. So that changes the marketing a tiny bit, but for the most part, it's the exact same as testimonials, it's content, it's it's really not a lot different. And that's been one of the most eye-opening things for me, um, you know, putting my systems over there and seeing it worked and, and they do actually work that's similarly a, in both. Yeah. It's a huge advantage. I'm sure that you can, uh, that you can't drive there in an hour because we opened up a, a second location at a country club across town and I made the mistake of doing the opposite of what you said. We didn't have our system set. And so it was a lot of freaking superhero work of running over, you know, the last minute trying to save this and that. And the fact that, you know, you couldn't get to your gym in a, in a half day's drive is probably helped that, that insulation from it probably helped a lot, you know? Oh yeah. A hundred percent, man. And, and I was really glad that Tom taught me a lesson early cause I would have just opened up a second location and tried to fly by the seat of my pants and it wouldn't yeah. have worked very well. And so testing those systems in Montana worked great. And then now our second location here in Isquah, like I'm maybe there once a week you know, so it does awesome. run a lot on its own. Uh, and, so and, I would just guess in Montana, can you burn up $3,000 of, of paid advertising every month? Uh, it's a little bit less than that. It's probably more like 1500 to, yeah. to 2000. Okay. Uh, but we yeah. still spend a lot on marketing there. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, you know, I have a client, he's out in Minot, North Dakota, which is I think about the same size, 45 to 55,000 in the, in the general area. He's, he's grown leaps and bounds. I mean, he opened up a 750 square foot gym attached to his clinic, uh, outgrew that. Now he has like a 2,500 square foot gym down the street and it looks like in a, another year he's going to outgrow that. So, um, yeah, there's more. a lot of potential in the r- more rural stuff. Honestly, our gym in uh, Montana doesn't do as much revenue as we do here in Seattle, but the profit margins are honestly better in Montana than they are here in <laughs> Seattle just because of the lack of competition and the overheads yeah. a lot cheaper. And so, all right. Well, I won't publish this. I'll try and do my best not to publish this uh, episode in Montana so that you can continue to dominate that market, you know, because <laughs> you could get into there, but yeah. Anyways. All right. Well, Dan, this has been a, a dude, you're an encyclopedia of both knowledge and application. So I really appreciate this. And I think this is going to do so much for my listeners. Um, I know that, uh, you know, you, you get coaching a lot from Tom and, and Rick. Uh, you also coach some folks if they're interested is that right? Yeah, I am. I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of business clients that I work with as as well now, and do the do the mentoring and um, um, doing a lot of speaking and stuff as well now. And so, yeah. Well, if people want to get a hold of you, and maybe they're interested in that because they they heard something that they're interested in, how do they get a hold of you? How can they find you? Yeah, um, Instagram or Facebook is probably the easiest. Um, you can also email me Dan at CuttingEdgeFitness.com. Um, I'm I'm hey, all over the place. So. 
right? Yep. Cutting ends with a K. Yep. Uh, so I'm all over the place, man. I'm, I try to be very accessible. So whatever people need, they can get a hold of me and, and I'm here to, I'm here to help. And I really appreciate what you're doing too, man, in the industry. And, um, just all this kind of stuff that your content you're putting out is great and really help moving everything forward. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And I hope, uh, I hope our paths cross in, uh, I would have been, I would have been at a perform better Long Beach if it existed this year, but you know, we got to roll with the punches. So yeah, we're virtual now, but hopefully we'll see each other soon. Yeah, man. All right. Well, on, ha- uh, on behalf of Dan Kleckner up in Seattle, Washington, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks so much, Dan. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're looking for more information about me, about us, about our programs, then just head to clinicgymhybrid.com. Again, that's clinicgymhybrid.com. You can check us out there. We've got our accelerator program and a few other programs that will help you get up and running as quickly as possible and making more money while providing excellent active therapy to your patients. 